Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed by grace that uh, gathers us. The work of the cross, we count it finished with you. count it sufficient we count it awesome that we by grace draw near what an amazing amazing God Lord, I pray in these next few minutes that you will be so enjoyed. Pray that your cross will be on display. The finished work of Christ will be savored, appreciated in a deeper, richer way. Lord, I pray that as a result of the time that we spend together this morning, that we'll be saltier and brighter and more aromatic. For your glory and for your namesake. Lord, also this morning I want to lift up Ralph Powell. Thank you so much for the connection that we have to Ralph through uh, Eric and Susie and uh, the grandkids. Lord, we just want to pray for Ralph and his new bride and for uh, Fellowship Bible Church. Lord, we pray that Christ is being savored over there right now. Pray that that people is salty and bright and aromatic for your glory and for your namesake. Lord, we pray that you will guard our hearts and theirs from ever having a spirit of, spirit of competition. But we cheer for them for your glory. We pray that their little building won't seed everybody that you're bringing to that people because they're engaging you out loud. Lord, I pray for Ralph and his ministry toward his wife that it is uh, putting the gospel on display. That his kids and grandkids can see what it looks like what Christ looks like in loving the church in the way that Ralph loves his wife. And that his kids and grandkids can see what it looks like for the church to adore and enjoy our groom in the way they see their, uh, their new um, mother enjoy Ralph. Lord, I pray that Ralph is being wrecked by the word, that he is engaging you week by week. Guard him, Lord, from being satisfied with funny stories and email and emotional empty things but that he is unpacking and exposing the living life-changing sufficient word of God Lord, we thank you so much for the shared Lord that we have with this church we turn this time over to you for your glory in Christ's name we pray amen turn to John 14 <clears throat> My charge to you this morning is that we are not fact collectors, but we are truth enjoyers. I must admit to you that in preparation for this Sunday, we're engaging some things that could be potentially things that, oh yeah, we already got that. And then I was reminded that worshipers don't think like that. Fact collectors do. 
Fact collectors can see something that they've already gathered and say, I already got that. What else you got? But thankfully, worshipers aren't fact collectors. Worshipers engage truths, timeless truths, life-giving truths in a way that just looks and sounds and tastes like savoring. So my burden this morning is that we savor some truths that may be familiar. They may not. They may be new. We're in John 14. Let me give you a little bit of context before we climb into it. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are like a sea of red. If you have red letter Bible, you can look and see it. Just page after page of red. And if you know, you may not know this, you likely know this. Those are represented in our red letter Bibles as the words from Christ. And what these are, this is kind of the last word and testament to a people, a group of guys that he's walked with for three years. So he's about to go to the cross. This is the eve of the cross. They just took the Lord's Supper together, which we're going to take in a little bit. It's appropriate that we engage it this morning. They just took that together. Judas has just left the table just a few days earlier. In fact, let's back up a little bit. He entered Jerusalem with the crowds cheering. The disciples thinking, man, our ship has come in, boy. We cast our lot with this dude, man, this, this dude named Jesus, and he's the man. The crowds want to make him king. And, man, we're going to be in his court. Where are you going to sit, John? I don't know. Where are you going to sit, James? How about you, Pete? They had their seats picked out. They had the court laid out already. They had their robes picked out. I'll have denim. I'll have satin. I'll have um, velvet. I think um, Peter would have had denim. Wranglers, maybe. But they already had their, the layout in the court picked out the way things were going to unfold. In fact, just a few days earlier, he entered Jerusalem with the crowds cheering, the same crowds that this next day would say, give us Barabbas instead of this dude, this joker that we cheered for a few days ago, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These guys, man, they're thinking, We've let, we left our boats, we left our tax collecting booths, we left their version of the work truck all their stuff, and followed him for three years and thinking, man, we have arrived. And then at this dinner, this such sweet, incredible Lord's Supper, they get the news that probably the most trusted among them is actually going to betray Christ. The Judas, he was the money keeper. Tell me your organization doesn't give the money keeping to the people that you trust. Probably the most trusted among them is the one that leaves the table hurried and runs off to collect the cash, the silver, and to betray Christ later in that next morning. They're getting that news. They're engaging those realities. And at the same time, Jesus is saying, hey, let me prepare you something for, guys, for something, guys. I'm about to go someplace that you can't go. And guess why you can't go there? Because you're unqualified. Because the final sacrifice is about to be made tomorrow, and it needs to be made by someone who's sinless. So that's why you can't follow me. I know you've left everything. I know we've followed you followed me for three years, but I got bad news for you. You can't go where I'm about to go. You'll follow me later. So these guys, man, they're swimming in bad news, and he's encouraging them here in John 14 with these words. We engage these words these last couple of months. Let not your hearts be troubled. You probably remember that, although that sounds like a suggestion, that's a command in the original Greek. Thou shalt not let your hearts be. 
And we figured out, stay troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then these words where we're going to engage today in the next couple of weeks, these two verses. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms, dudes with troubled hearts. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Uh, The title of this sermon and the next couple is going to be part one, part two, part three of A Place Prepared. I want us to consider heaven in these next couple of Sundays, but this one today specifically, we're going to understand the character of this place prepared. First of all, we're going to, I'm just going to deal with three issues. That it's a place of relationship, that it's a place where Christ is, and that it's a place prepared. They're going to seem obvious initially, but as fact collectors they might be obvious, but as worshipers this is going to be sweet. First, a place of relationship. I want to just throw this out there. You have, uh, this is the consideration. How should we read this? In my Father's house are many rooms. If you have the English Standard Version, it says many rooms. If you have the King James Version or something more dated, or if you have the New King James, you might recognize it says many mansions. If you've ever been to a funeral, I bet you've heard this priest before, or read at least. At a funeral. It's a common funeral sermon. And the rendering, oftentimes in those funerals, focuses on the destination and the future living place. And oftentimes it's read in the old King James that focuses on the mansion. It creates a a thought of quarters or barracks or apartments or if you like the old versions, you identify with mansions. And we envision potentially spiraled staircases with big white columns. Or we might, we might imagine a room just made for us with a little pillow on the bed embroidered. It's got your name on it. With a quilt on the bed. It's got your favorite poster on the wall. For those of you who are into we, we is set up in the corner. Nice flat panel. Some of you are into reading. you got a nice little reading area in one corner. And you're envisioning this room that's prepared for us. And it's, man, that's sweet. But I want to offer a different understanding of this passage. Instead of many rooms or many mansions, I want to go with the New American Standard. It says many dwelling places. I even like the New Living Translation that says there's room, there's more than enough room is the way it translates it. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. I want you to understand the difference between what I introduced before and what I'm saying now. The difference is is that it's less about the place and more about the space. The thought is, there's room for you in my Father's house rather than there's a room for you in my Father's house. That's a big difference. You think it might be small, but we're going to engage it. What he's saying here is, dudes, no worries. You're not going to hear what my earthly mother and father heard when I was being born. There's no room for you in the inn. We've got some room out in the stable. You won't hear anything even like that because there's room in my father's house. There's more than enough room in my father's house. 
the emphasis so often in reading and preaching this passage is on the physical dwelling place of heaven rather than the ample dwelling space and expanse of heaven. And this is no small issue. It would be like someone offering, saying, hey man, you need to come stay with me. Christy's the best I've ever seen at this. She knows people all over the country. So anytime we travel, man, we are on Mooch program. And she'll call them up, and their response is, hey, man, we got ample space for you. We got room for you. Come on and stay with us. The difference in what's being said here is it's like someone saying, hey, we got plenty of room for you, compared to someone saying that they wanted you to come and stay with them because they had a specific room for you. That'd be kind of creepy, wouldn't it? You say, oh, I'm not sure I'm up for that. What do you got planned for me in that room? The former says, come on over because it's about the fellowship. I can't wait to see you. The latter says, oh, Sally or Tommy, it's all about you. And when I was suffering on that cross, all I could think about was you. And I've already got planned for the embroidery pillowcase, the pattern, the doilies. I've already got plans for where I'm going to put the we because it's all about you. Do you feel stroked, little Tommy or Sally, because you're at the center of the universe? I hope so because you are. And I know they sing that song that it's all about you, Jesus, but you know what? It's all about you, Tommy or Sally. It's no small issue. Whether we emphasize the mansions or the space, it's no small issue. Do you like your quilt, Sally or Tommy? Do you see how pitiful that is? I mock that because it rates being mocked. The emphasis here is not on a room, but it's on many rooms. And he says, if it were not so, he wouldn't have led them on or made them any promises. And he says, hey, my father can put you up, dudes. With troubled hearts, there's space for you. It's going to be okay. This thing that he encourages his troubled followers with is the reality that there is a place, a space of relationship. That's the first thing. And the second thing connects with the destination of that place of relationship. It's a place where Christ is. He says right there in the verse we've read, in verse 3, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be Also, the encouraging carrot for a bunch of troubled hearts isn't a mansion with spiral staircases and we. The encouraging carrot is the picture of fellowship and relationship with himself. Dudes, I got good news for you. I know you're troubled, but guess what? I'm going to come get you and take you to myself. And there's going to be ample space. Listen to these passages share a couple with you if you're quick you can turn with me Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 Paul says indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ His carrot is not that he may gain a mansion, that he may gain even a room that has a little personal touch. 
It's not that I may gain my my old family members who've gone on before. The carrot for him is I counted all rubbish compared to gaining my Christ. He's my destination. He's what I'm excited about. On the facing page in verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, the two being to live or to die, because my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that's far better. Paul's saying, man, that's what I'm about. I want to be with my Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 he says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul's carrot is to be with the Lord. Jesus is the destination in this prepared place. My question to you this morning, for all of you to think about, and I hope that if you, if you get nothing else this morning, then this question arrests you. It's a question that I've asked before and it's worth asking again. Would you be okay with heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would you be okay with all the gold and the mansions? Or would you be hacked if he wasn't there? I'll tell you right now, if you'd be okay with heaven if Jesus wasn't there, then you'll not go there. Let that hit you. Because heaven is a place of relationship, and the prize is to be in the presence of Christ. He says, I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. If you've got no affection for this Jesus, then don't hope for heaven, because that's what it is. It's to be with Him face to face. Because all the gold, and all the jasper, and all the trees that bear all these multiple fruits, and all the lions laying with lambs, and all the sapphire, and all the crystal, and all the pearls, and all the feasts, are nothing without this Jesus. Nothing. In fact, all that you read of this physical heaven, all that you read in the later chapters of Revelation about this physical heaven, if you have all those things minus our Jesus, guess what that is? That's called hell. You can have it. Because if Jesus isn't there, it's not heaven. What a poor thought if our anticipation for heaven is just gold and columns and we, as much as I enjoy. Now listen, I was thinking about this yesterday. As much as I enjoy stuff, I do. I like land cruisers. Those of y'all that know me, you know this. My my old 13-year-old land cruiser, I enjoy my old 13-year-old land cruiser. There are things in my life, some specific physical things that I really enjoy, like a cool old watch or a cool pair of shoes that fits me just right. But guess what? Even as much as I enjoy those things, someday I will tire of them. There will come a day where I'll crawl in that cool old Land Cruiser and go, man, it stinks in here. Man, this leather's all cracked, and there's like mold in the carpet. In fact, it may be like that just right now. So the thought of a physical carrot for eternity just really, when I think about it, just really makes me tired. Eternity with the same land cruiser? No thanks. If you're connecting this picture of heaven and what's in store in this place prepared with these physical objects, then you've got to know that you're going to grow tired of those things. But when I consider eternity with Christ as the carrot, what I'm thinking of right now, I shared this with Christy this morning, I'm thinking of my marriage. If my marriage is a tutor, 
that teaches me about what it's like to love Christ? If my marriage is a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and if after 13 years of marriage, it's this sweet, and it just keeps getting sweeter, and we look at each other and we say, man, I'm not tired of you yet. I'm looking forward to the next 13. And I bet you've seen those couples that have been married 50 or 60 years. And you look at them and you're just amazed at the love that they have between each other. They can look at each other and with a glance and a look communicate a loving paragraph. I bet you've seen it. Imagine what that's like after 50 or 60 years that few of us actually get the joy of experiencing. But you've seen it. Imagine what it's like and then consider what it would be like to be with Christ for a thousand years. Man, no thanks for the mansions. Gold? (laughs) I'll get tired of gold, but I won't get tired of Jesus. If my marriage is a picture of what's in store, then it's just going to keep getting better. That sort of love vintages. That sort of love just grows and sweetens. And think about it in a marriage. That's with a fallen, frail, sinful, (laughs) especially me, not in my case, but. On, for Christy toward me, person. And this will be toward our perfect Lord. Imagine how sweet the relationship will be in a thousand years with our groom. If my marriage is a tutor of things to come, then being with Christ will be glorious and rich. To point kids or to point people or to point friends or for pastors to preach funerals and point the grieving toward mansions or crowns or rooms or gold as the carrot would be like sharing with your kids that marriage is sweet someday because you'll get a ring. It's cool, little Johnny. You can make noises with it. How empty if that's all we got to promise our kids is that they get a ring and they get a wedding dress and a photo album. Marriage is so much more. And that's the picture of what's in store for this place prepared. We're going to be with our groom. And it'll be an eternal relationship that'll just vintage and get sweeter and sweeter. He says, I'll bring you to myself, troubled hearts, that where I am you may be also. The destination is Christ. He is the cream. Not white columns. Not spiral staircases, not embroidered pillows and bejeweled crowns. This place he speaks of is a place of relationship and fellowship with a supreme, encouraging carrot, and that's himself. The third thing, the obvious thing, is that it's a place prepared, but it's not quite so obvious how. Heaven is a place prepared. I want you to think about the context for these words that he's sharing right here, these words of encouragement words of encouragement that I go to prepare a place for you let not your hearts be troubled the context for these words he's been preparing them for something and something grave something frightening something difficult he's been explaining something he's been readying them for something as he says these words I go to prepare a place for you he's preparing them to see their teacher and their lord crucified you got to make that connection it's not obvious Bad funeral preaching has neutered this passage of its focus. And even poor songwriting. This is an encouragement to the many songwriters we have in our church to be biblical. I'm going to refer back to a song that probably many of you have heard over the years. A guy that's deceased, a guy named Keith Green. 
I think Keith Green had guts in his writing and his singing. But he sang a song about heaven. The name of the song was, I Can't Wait to Get to Heaven. And it had a phrase in it that went like this. It said, in six days you created everything, but you've been working on heaven for 2,000 years. How many of you have heard that song? You've been working on heaven for 2,000 years. I remember hearing that song and thinking, man, that's so awesome. Six days he spoke creation, but for 2,000 years he's been hard at work. And that's a sweet little notion, but it's wrong. He's not in heaven with a hammer and a nails and a saw and a two belt and Carhartt overalls preparing something for you right now. What a cross diminishing rendering of this passage. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then where did he go? He went to the cross. This place prepared that we should dream about and be excited about is made, this place that's made for relationship is already prepared. The hammer and the nails were already used. They were used by Roman soldiers 2,000 years ago. He's not up there wearing car hearts right now and hard at work. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 says that he reconciled all things in heaven and on earth through the blood of his cross. This place is already prepared. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. Listen to this. Just listen. Just listen. It says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things, the copies being the tabernacle and the temple, Thus it was necessary for the copies, the tabernacle and the temple of these copies of heaven to be purified with these rites. He's speaking of the sacrificial rites and the priests who were in there sacrificing all day long to purify those copies of heavenly things. But the heavenly things themselves are purified with better sacrifices than these. And the next verse refers to what that sacrifice was. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This place has already been prepared by the blood of the cross. You might be wondering what Jesus is doing right now then. Here's a couple of pictures. You want to know what he's up to? Here's a familiar passage in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and watched Christ. Look for him. And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Guess what Jesus is doing right now? He's sitting. He's sitting, man. Just see him sitting. You know, you want, you want to know what it looks like, kids? Imagine what it's like. You probably don't have to imagine. Much to, your, much to the wife's chagrin, when dad comes home after a hard day work, where does he go, man? He's plopping down his recliner because he's done. See Jesus sitting. He's so done. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Our Jesus is seated. When he sat on the cross, it is finished. He meant it. This place has already been prepared. 
and is prepared by the work of the cross. Sacrifice has been made. The holiest of holies has been made fully accessible by his people by the work of the cross. The cross that was the space-making, place-saving, room-preparing instrument, the hammer and nails have already been used. It's appropriate this morning that in light of these truths, in light of this cross, hopefully cross-central message, Christ-exalting message, that we respond with the Lord's Supper together as a people. In light of that cross and in remembrance of that cross, we're going to dine together now. On the night before his death, when he spoke the red letter C that we're swimming in over in John 14, he shared a Passover meal with the disciples. In a couple of the accounts, it says that he told them, he said, do this in remembrance of me. He wasn't saying eat in remembrance of me. You're saying, do this. This thing that you, you as a people been doing for 1,500 years called the Passover meal. Do this thing that's especially familiar to you. Do this thing that you've always done for 1,500 years, remembering the night of Passover, when you remember the nation of Israel enslaved to Egypt, delivered by the living God at midnight. On that night, you remember the sacrifice Passover lamb and the blood-slathered door that marked your home as his... That thing you do when you remember those things, now do that thing remembering me as your Passover lamb and the final sacrifice and the deliverance that you only find in me. Now do that remembering me. Turn to Mark 14. I want you to see this as we dine together. I want you to understand what's unfolding here. I want you to see how this meal went and we'll dine with him as we go. As you're turning there, let me prepare you too that this meal is for those who are self-examined, reconciled with the living God and in fellowship with God by the finished work of Christ. If you're not believing on Jesus, don't take this meal. Daniel's five. He may be asleep. Is he awake? He's awake, good. He asked me before he came up, he said, can I take the Lord's Supper, Daddy? I said, are you believing on Jesus? He said, yes, sir. Take it, bro. Take it up. Take it by faith. If you're crossways with God right now, you need to reconcile with Him. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and I'm going to have a kind of a quiet time where you can reckon with God. If you're crossways with your spouse or someone in your family you're sitting by, Turn to them and say, hey man, I'm sorry. I want to take this cup and this bread rightly. Please forgive me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we take this bread and this cup that we are searchable. I pray that our hands are raised and our palms are upward as we are showing you our hands and saying, look God, search me. Lord, I pray that we are bathing in the blood of Jesus as we take this cup, that it's by grace that we draw near. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray that if any of us are crossways with you over some sin unconfessed, or if we're crossways with our brothers, then in these next few minutes, we can offer those things up as an offering before we take this cup and this bread.
bring those things to mind, Lord. Lord, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 22. says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. If this meal went like the typical Passover meal, then this would have happened between the drinking of the second and the third cups of wine. His blessing would have gone something like this. Blessed are thou, O Lord our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. Appropriate that the bread of life is sharing that blessing. The bread that he broke was referred to as the bread of remembrance. I want you to look at this passage and notice the verbs of our Lord. Notice what He's doing. First of all, He's eating, and then He takes the bread, He blesses the bread, He breaks the bread, He gives the bread, and then He spoke. All those verbs that our Lord is up to, eating, taking, blessing, breaking, giving, and saying. And you know the only verbs that the disciples had in that passage are eating and taking. And the contrast there is this picture of this active Lord that's about right considering the work that He's about to submit to where He's doing the verbs. And we're receiving this incredible finished work. He's done the work, taking, blessing, breaking, giving, and saying, and we just take it and eat it as grateful worshipers. Also, consider that the verbs are all directed at the bread. When he says, this is my body, he's showing himself as the gift. He's the self-offering for the disciples. Come on up, elders. Let's pray. Blessed are thou, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who brings forth bread from the earth. Lord, we are grateful that this bread was broken for us. Lord, I pray that right now as we take this bread together that we recognize the price that was paid. And it adds a sobriety to our walk. A genuineness to our faith. It will be saltier, brighter, and more aromatic because we've engaged these realities this morning. Lord, we are thankful for the price paid. Praying this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Take and eat. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Toward the end of the meal, he took the third cup. And he said of it, This is my blood, it's poured out for many. And they all drank of it. Mark is the only one that points out that they all drank of it. And Mark also develops a picture of all through the rest of the book. He goes on to develop in verse 31. 
Where Peter says, I'll never deny you, Jesus. And it says, and they all said the same. And then a few verses earlier in verse 27, Jesus predicted that you will all fall away. And then sure enough, over in verse 50, they all left him and fled. Mark emphasizes the all. And just consider and notice that the original Last Supper was attended by traitors, for Judas was still there, and it was attended by cowards. So thankfully, this table is not the table of merit, but it's the table of grace. Do you appreciate that? Man, I love that. Table of grace. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant. With the Passover on their minds, they would have thought of the Moses covenant. In that case, blood was thrown onto the people. And it was the blood of an innocent. The, blood, the covenant was sealed with the blood of an innocent sacrificial animal. And this covenant that we are enjoying and celebrating this morning is a covenant that's sealed with the blood of Jesus. And unlike the blood of Mosaic covenant that was thrown on the people, the blood of this covenant is imbibed. Drink up, people of God. Man is to be consumed by the people of God. Let's take the cup. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the blood of Jesus. We're so thankful for what it achieved and what it accomplished that no other blood could. Lord, we are thankful for the blood cleansing, or the sin cleansing work of the blood in our lives, Lord, that that our Christ owned all the verbs and that we just receive it. Lord, we are thankful for, uh, for that finished work. Lord, I pray that you'll work in us just a true enjoyment, a true anticipation and true excitement about seeing our groom. Lord, I pray that you'll guard our hearts from the material pursuit of heaven and that we will be anticipating the delightful reunion with our Lord. And that we will vintage together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last verse there says, Truly I say to you, Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The picture there is that our groom fasts from what we just took until he sees us again. Our groom waits until we join him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Does that add some anticipation to what we just did? Some appreciation? That the bride gets to take this taste, sort of like this afternoon snack, this tides us over into this until we sit together in this supper. And the amazing thing is that our groom passes on it. Not until my bride's here. No thanks. After he shared these words, they would have sung a song together, likely Psalm 115 to Psalm 118 range. And then they left the upper room that had been prepared for them. And they walked through the streets of Jerusalem. 
and left through the east side of Jerusalem, likely the Lion Gate or the Golden Gate. Then they crossed through the Kidron Valley and started climbing the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be rested only hours later. Our prayer for us as a people is that we would be encouraged at the reality that our Christ is going to take us to himself. That we'd be amazed by this table of grace that would make us a different people. Let's worship our Christ in song. I want to have the Simmons come up in just a second. Y'all hang tight just for a second. I want to make a brief announcement. I shared last week that our annual meeting, membership annual, our annual membership meeting that we have once a year is uh, going to be next Sunday night. And uh, I didn't know this Super Bowl night. Not a real sporto myself, so I kind of I don't even know who's playing, so that's, I'm completely ignorant about it. But the, um, you know, it's not like... Um, I'm not thinking that we're making some huge sacrifice with the world if we don't have it next Sunday night. I just don't think it would be good sense for us to compete with something that a lot of y'all would like to see. So we're going to have it the next Sunday night. So that'll be February 15th? 8th. 8th. Where did I get that from? That's the next one. Actually, February 8th, the eve that evening, we'll have our... Uh, annual membership meeting, and then on February 15th, we'll be recognizing some new deacons. So there are a couple things coming up in the next, next couple weeks. So uh, the Simmons family, y'all come on up. As we dismiss, I'm about to dismiss us in prayer, but I want to encourage y'all to come, meet, come up and meet this family. They have some family in visiting them right now, so they'll probably be catching up with those family members for a little bit. But what, Jeff, when do y'all go back? We go back the 5th. Okay, so we have... Uh, so we'll leave here Sunday to visit family in Austin. Okay. So we're here till next Sunday. Okay. Okay. So we have a week to try and get on their schedule. So, in other words, I don't think they should eat alone between now and next Sunday. Um, whether it's lunch or dinner or breakfast or whatever, just try and connect with this family, get to know them. Um, nobody said where y'all are. Is that off limits? Okay. It may just been a. We may just missed it. They're in Jordan, Amman, Jordan, which is near Israel, and um, between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> funny jordanian humor that's yeah that's good that's good but y'all get to know this family and i want you to all to also to recognize what they're doing right now and saying we want to be members of this people they left the other side of the world to come here to say that i mean membership matters whatever it's been reduced to Hopefully you're seeing that it matters enough that they want to make eye contact with you, want to be known by you, and want to know you to say, we stand with you. We stand, stand searchable, and we stand searching for the glory of God. We want to be involved in your lives, and we want you to be involved in ours as we journey together on this journey of faith. That's not a hard press for membership. It's just a reality. I want to encourage y'all, Sam, you too, uh, John, you too, that um, I want to encourage y'all that if you're kind of in this place of terminal visiting, that, that that's not healthy any more than, uh, it'd be like common law marriage. You know, it, it, let's get married. Either that or get married to somebody that you love. You need to be part of a people. You need to be known and you need to know.
Church is supposed to be involved in each other's lives. So I urge you, it doesn't have to be cross point. This isn't a cross point feeding plan. It's a church engaging encouragement to be part of a people that you can be um, intentional about walking with. That's what this family is doing here this morning. Y'all stand and I'll dismiss us. <coughs> Lord, we thank you so much for our time that we've had this morning. What an amazing buffet of things that we've engaged. And uh, Lord, I pray that most of all that you've been glorified in the way that this people has, has uh, just stopped down this morning and um, enjoyed you. Lord, I thank you so much that the church is the church this morning, taking the supper together, um, enjoying baptism together, worshiping out loud, feasting on good nourishment together. Lord, we are thankful that the cross gathered this people. The cross achieved the work. We count it finished with Christ, and we just sit with him enjoying it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks. Amen.